This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Today's scripture is going to be Jonah, starting in chapter 3, verse 1. If you do not have a Bible with you, we have Bibles back here available for you to borrow or take home if you're in need of one. But we'll be in Jonah, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. (laughs) Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Thanks, Jensen. I'll take this here. Move that out of the way. And carry this up here. All right. Hey, I just want to mention something. Uh, last Sunday... I looked on Facebook and I saw our congregation rallying in prayer for Julie Howerson. And as most of you know by now, uh, Julie is doing well, that the mass on her brain was not cancerous, uh, and she is well on her way to recovery. But I have to tell you something there's power in prayer. And, and, and you know that there is. And so often we come together and we pray and, and, and we beseech God. And, and, but boy, you know, that's what the Ninevites are going to be doing this morning. And we pray and we pray and we pray. And you know what? When, when we experience answers to prayer, we just need to give God all the praise and the honor and the glory. I mean, it is a powerful thing. And there are other stories of some of you right here this morning that I know of, uh, that, that prayer uh, has changed your life, that you've been touched, that you've been healed. 
we believe in pervasive prayer. I've said it before. I'll say it again. And what happened last week is an example of what happens when God's people gather together and they pray earnestly. Because you know what? The prayers of a righteous man or woman availeth much. Availeth much. And of course, this time, we receive the results that we were praying for. But beyond the physical healing, something that Kevin told me that I want to share with you, I don't think he'd mind. He said, you know, Pastor Todd, we were at a place where the grace of God had so filled our our lives, even waiting for the surgery, that we were okay whatever was going to happen. Okay? That's powerful. And he said it was the prayers, our prayers, the prayers of of others that helped bring them to that place. So, um, you know what? Thank you for praying. We have our prayer team back every Sunday morning at the cross. We have the prayer room available to all people anytime. We have the prayer wall for all of us to participate on. Let's continue to pray. Prayer is powerful. And whatever God is going to do in our church, in our lives, and through our lives, it's going to be done on a foundation of prayer. Amen? Amen. All right. Just had to say that. It's a good thing. Uh, I was thinking about today's message. And something came to mind. And it's this. Um, Information without transformation leads to stagnation. Let me say that again. Information without transformation leads to stagnation. Let me make the application for us this morning. As we come into Jonah chapter 3, it's a really challenging chapter. It invites us to take a look in the mirror and to examine ourselves in light of God's Word. Now, we believe in the centrality of the Word of God, and and we can read the Word of God, we can be familiar with the Word of God, we can know the Word of God, and that's a good thing. But you know what? Knowledge for knowledge's sake, Paul says, knowledge puffs up. And we can be so familiar with the Word of God and know the Word of God, and yet... Are we asking the Holy Spirit, that's one of our core values, by the way, a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. Paul also writes to the Corinthians that the Word of God cannot be understood apart from the Spirit of God active and working in our lives. And so are we allowing the Spirit of God to take the information that we receive and for the Word of God to be alive and active like a a two-edged sword You know, able to pierce us from joint to marrow. 
because it knows the intentions of our heart. And are we open and are we asking the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, Holy Spirit, with this Word, may it be more than information, may You be unleashed in our lives so that there's transformation. Because if there's not, what happens is we just become stagnant. And the risk in that is our hearts grow cold to the Word of God. We're familiar with it, but the question is, are we living it in the power of the Holy Spirit? Does that make sense? So, I want to begin with a story. When I was a chaplain in the L.A. County Jail, there were 5,000 men there. At that time, uh, it was the largest prison facility in in terms of a county jail type thing in the free world. 5,000 in a building built for 2,500. Okay? And when the federal government, when the the federal judge would, would order a count to make sure that there wasn't overcrowding, <clears throat> the county would put inmates on buses and have them in transit, and then they'd do the count. Right? Because you didn't count the ones that were on the bus. And then you bring them back. And then you meet the federal requirement, so to speak. Okay? And I worked in that place, and every day as a chaplain... I got as many as 500 requests that people wanted to come and see me. 500 a day. They were on stacks of paper. They were called a kite. And I'm sitting here and go, Lord, in a day, maybe I can see, I don't know, 15? I'm not sure, but Lord, who do I see? And I'd pray over the stack. Okay? I'd, I'd pray over the stack. I say, Lord, just, just bring the ones that you want. Lord, I want to be your man in this place, but, but you're going to have to direct who I go to or who you bring to me. And I'd pray and I'd, I'd look through them and I'd, I'd try to discern which were the most urgent. Because sometimes there'd be men who would just want to come because they'd want a phone call to a relative or they'd want a toothbrush or toothpaste. Now that's important. But, but what I was really wanting to get is those who really had a deep spiritual yearning, those who were maybe vulnerable, those who maybe would be willing to hear the truth of God's Word. Okay? I was trying to discern all that. And I remember one day there was a person who I had removed his, his request and I had sent for him, and, and he came, and I was sitting at my desk. He walked in my office. I'll never forget him. He was a large man. He was tattooed. Every area of his physical appearance that I could see was tattooed. His face was full of scars. And as he walked in, I have to confess to you, I thought to myself, what does this guy want with the Lord? He probably just wants a phone call or toothbrush or some deodorant. Or This guy can't be serious about God. Right? And he sat down in front of me. And this man, his countenance, he, I mean, he was an angry guy. And I had already decided 
who he was and what he was about. And I confess to you right, that I had judged him and I was guilty of a sin that perhaps you're guilty of, of deciding who is worthy of God's mercy, who is worthy of the forgiveness that Jesus Christ can offer, and who isn't, based on our own bias, stereotype, and how we categorize and look at people. Okay? Can I be honest? Is that all right? I had written him off. But I was God's man. I had asked God, God, send me to or bring to me those whom you want to transform. But I had already decided who was and who was not worthy of God's transformation. And I will never forget when that man sat down across from me (laughs) and his countenance broke and he began to weep and he said these words. I'll never forget them. He says, you see this? You see this? He goes, this is a facade. I'm tired. I'm tired of doing it my way. I'm tired of living the life that I've been living. You see these scars? I've hurt people and people have hurt me and I'm tired of hurting people. And he wept like a child, like a baby. And then he asked me the question, can God forgive me? It's hard for me to tell that story. Because in my heart of hearts, I have to say, God, will you forgive me? And we prayed that day. And a person I had written off, and really, if I'm honest, thinking about his life and the choices he made and the people he had hurt and the things that he had done, in my mind, I'm thinking, he's not even worthy. God help us. God help us. God have mercy on us. Oh, he was a violent man. He had hurt people. He had taken drugs. I could list the things that he confessed and admitted to that day and ask God to cleanse him and forgive him. And it's easy to point at someone like that, isn't it? But how many people in a church does gossip hurt and destroy and do violence to? What does that look like? Or pride? What does that look like? Or lust? What does that look like? You see, there's a whole nother group of sins that aren't as obvious, that, that, that aren't as in our face, but they're just as deadly, they're just as offensive to God, and those who carry those things are in just as much need of forgiveness. 
This is hard stuff, isn't it? But I'm your shepherd, and I have to share this with you. Okay? That's exactly what's going on in chapter 3 of the book of Jonah. Chapter 1, Jonah gets a call from God. He's God's man. And God calls him to a group of people whom Jonah, as a great prophet of Israel, has written off. Now, he hasn't written them off because of their ethnicity. A biblical scholar James Bruckner makes that very clear in his commentary on this book. It's not about ethnicity here. This isn't a race thing, although there happen to be a different group of people. But it's about Jonah looking at the wickedness, the sin of the Ninevites, the Assyrians, And in his heart of heart, wrestling with whether or not they're worthy of God's forgiveness, of His compassion, of His mercy. Because Jonah knows something. That the Lord is slow to anger, but He's what? Quick to forgive. He's a God of compassion. He's a God of mercy. And what if he goes and he shares the message that God has given him? What if the Ninevites repent? What if God forgives them and shows mercy? You see, the real issue here is that Jonah is offended by God's sense of justice, just like you and I are when we cry out for justice in somebody else's life, but we ask mercy in our own. And that's what's going on here. And so he resists God's will He gets on a boat and he wants to go as far away as he can. He gets a a ticket to the farthest destination, Tarshish, southern Spain. And in that story, and we read about, he ends up in the belly of the big fish. And God gets his attention. And he does some work with the Lord. He, he still hasn't really worked out that bias, that prejudice, that offense of God's justice. God, how could you? I, that doesn't make sense. Those people deserve justice, not mercy. But he works it out a little bit enough that he says, okay, hey, you know what? I'll go. I'll do what you've asked me to do. But that tension's still there. And the whale spits him out on dry land. And in chapter 3 now, he's going to Nineveh. So chapter 1, he resists God's will. Chapter 2, he submits to God's will. And in chapter 3, he fulfills God's will. Okay? Resists, submits, fulfills. So he goes to Nineveh. Despite his offense with God's sense of justice. Now, Proverbs 14.12 says this. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. There's a way that appears to be right, and in the end, it leads to death. 
There was a way that appeared right to Jonah, but in the end, it almost ended in death. But it was God's mercy in Jonah's life, the prophet, the righteous one, the man of God. You see, he was in need too. Just like the sailors aboard the ship that he was thrown off of, just like the people of Nineveh, he needed God's mercy too. Because his own way of thinking caused him to rebel against God and to resist God's will. But we read in Romans this. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you know that? There are none of us that in and of ourselves are righteous. We, we all must throw ourselves at the foot of the cross. We all must ask for God's mercy. We all must come to grips with who we are in the face of a holy God. Our choices for our own life versus the choices that, that He desires for us. And the question is, are we willing to turn from our own way and embrace God's way? Are we tired of information and are we pleading and begging and and Lord, transformation in my life? And so Jonah, he goes to Nineveh. And in verse 1, you get a a verse 2 of chapter 3, begs a question. He says, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now, let me kind of just... That, that's our translation in English. But what that's really saying in the Hebrew is this. Go to the great city of Nineveh. You know why it's great? Go to the city that I care greatly about. That's what it's really saying in the original language. And the question is, do we care greatly about the things that God cares greatly about? Do you see that? And that was the issue. Was Jonah going to be aligned with God's concerns? With what God cared about? And you and I have to ask ourselves that same question. Are we going to align ourselves so that we care greatly about the things that God cares greatly about? And that's the tension all through this book. All four chapters. And that tension exists in our life. Your life in my life. And so he goes. It says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Verse 3. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go to it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city. It took three days to get from one end to the other of Nineveh. It was a huge city. So Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That word overthrown is the key here. Underline that in your Bible. Again, in the Hebrew, that word can mean one of two things. It can mean overthrown in the sense that God 
judgment, it will be destroyed. It will be overthrown. It will be destroyed. Or it can mean something else. It will be overthrown as a result of repentance and God's mercy and compassion. God responding to people who are repentant. That word can mean either thing. And again, there's the tension that Jonah's feeling. He knows that. He knows that. But he also knows this. He knows that the reason that God is going there to say in 40 days you will be overthrown is because God's heart is the people will hear that and repent so that He can do what? Show His compassion and mercy on the people. Do you see that? That word overthrown is really important there. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. They believed Him. Now I have to tell you something. Jonah must have been quite a preacher. Think about that. One day of a three-day journey, he just preaches for one day. He gets as far as one day into the city and they believe God. There is power in the Word of God. Who was Jonah? He was a prophet from Israel. And there he was in the great Assyrian city of Nineveh and he brings God's Word and it's God's Word that transforms people's heart and lives. There's power in the Word of God. Now we can take a lot of things to people, but if we don't take the Word of God, we've, we've left out the most powerful thing. Okay? And Word spreads among the people. Now this is really interesting. The Word spreads among the people. And eventually... It gets back to the king. Look at this. This is so interesting. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast. Now, a fast, you fast when you're, you're asking God for His mercy. Okay? They declare a fast in all of them from the greatest of the put on sackcloth. Sackcloth was a sign of desolation and ruin. It was a sign of, I am desolate, I am ruined, I am desperate. And those who wore it, the sackcloth, which was often made of black goat's hair, very uncomfortable. Okay? They would, they would kneel or sit on the ground and they put ashes over their heads. And it was to be a sign of repentance. Of, of repentance. So all the people are responding. Now look at Romans 10, 13 through 15. Romans 10, 13 through 15. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they've not heard of? And how can they hear without someone preaching or bringing the good news to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Do you see that? 
That was the same in Jonah's day. It's the same in Jesus' day. It's the same in our day. Listen. I bring to you the Word of God every Sunday morning. You know why? So it can transform your life and my life, and then God sends us out with it so that we can be instruments of His transformation in the lives of others. Do you see that? You and I are sent ones in Jesus' name. As the Father sent the Son, as the Son sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwells us, and He sends us into the world as a part of His ministry and mission with His message of transformation. But here's the question. Are you ready? Going to Nineveh is a pretty radical thing, isn't it? Now, I don't know what Nineveh looks like for you, but here's the question we should ask ourselves. Are you moved by stories about people who do radical things for Christ and yet fail to act by following their example? It's not enough to say, wow, Beth and Larry Smith are doing something radical for Christ. Or, or wow, Marcy Bistadu is doing something radical for Christ. I don't know where your Nineveh is. I don't know where God is sending you or to whom He is sending you. But I guarantee He is sending all of us somewhere to someone. And that might require a radical act of faith. Maybe it's the person on the other side of the church that you haven't spoken to in a year because you've been offended by them or they offended you. And maybe that radical act that God is calling you to is an act of, of, of introspection, is an act of, of, of asking God to forgive you and an act of going and forgiving someone else. That can be a radical act. That can take place without you ever having to leave here. You see that? But the question is, are we going to look at others and say, man, that's great. Look at them. God is working through them. And be happy to sit and be passive. Information without transformation leads to stagnation. Okay? All right, let's go on. So the Word gets to the King. The Word gets to the King. Usually the word comes down from the king and goes to the people. But in this instance, the word gets up, gets to the people and goes to the king. Verse 6, When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Okay? Now you have to see what's going on here. This is the king of this powerful nation the sworn enemies of Israel, the most violent people on the face of the earth, the atrocities that they committed are unspeakable. I can't even share them with you because there are younger children in the sanctuary, okay? Historically. And here's this king in the midst of his power, in the midst of his reign, and what does he do? He takes off his robe, right? The symbol of his royalty and his own authority. And he steps off his throne. And he bows before the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The true God. 
in an symbol of sackcloth and ashes, begs for repentance. That's what's happening here. Do you realize what that represents? I mean, that's nothing short of a miracle. And yet we see the Word of God delivered by the prophet of God pierce this man's heart and all those in the kingdom. And here's what it says to you and me. Are we willing to respond to the Word of God? Are we willing to step down from the throne of our own lives? Take off whatever garment that we wear that projects our righteousness and our authority in our life and the lives of others? And are we willing to get down and beg and plead and ask God for His mercy? Are we willing to repent? That's what we see happening here. But watch this. It gets better. (laughs) So the news reached the kingdom. He rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes. He covered himself with sackcloth. He sat down in dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and the animals be covered with sackcloths. Let everyone call urgently on God. Call urgently on God. People of God, we need to call urgently on God for our own sin and on behalf of the sin of others. We need to plead with Him. Let them give up their evil ways and violence. And who knows, God may yet relent with compassion and turn from His fierce anger so that we will not perish. The king recognized that God was his only hope. Do you recognize? Are you at a place in your life where God is your only hope? Kevin and Julie Howerson last weekend realized God was their only hope. In life or in death, regardless of the outcome, God was our only hope. Why is it that we live like people who are hopeless? Well, we have a great and merciful and compassionate and loving God. Look at Psalm 115, 2 through 8. Why do the nations say, Where is their God? Our God's in heaven. He does whatever pleases Him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, they have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound from their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will be all who trust in them. Today is the day that you and I cast our idols aside. They can't save us. And in our moment of need, in our moment of desperation, we need to set aside the things we've been going to, the idols in our life. They can't speak to us. They can't move us. They can do nothing for us. And in the end, 
If we focus on them and we look for them to be our salvation, we're going to end up just like they do. Okay? The king of Nineveh and the people realize that. And you and I need to realize that too. Okay? So, here's the question. Do you desire to be saved from your sin or just the penalty for sin? Here's the difference. Oh God, I plead Your mercy. I don't want to experience Your justice. That's, that's the penalty of sin. Or oh God, I'm a sinner. I'm a broken person. I'm a desperate person. And I turn from and I repent from those things that might result in your justice. You see the difference? The Ninevites repented. The Ninevites not only begged God for mercy so they wouldn't be destroyed, but as you look here again, in verse 10. And this verse is the key, again, according to James Bruckner, of the whole book of Jonah. When God saw they, uh, what they did and that they had what? Turned from their evil ways. They repented. They repented. That He did not bring destruction on Him that He had threatened. Wow. There's a lot in this passage, isn't there? There's a lot of application in there. Um, I preach with conviction because I feel conviction, and I pray that you feel the same. Because if we would respond with the heart and the earnestness of the Ninevites, those who are the least likely Imagine what God could do in us and through us. See that? So the question is today, in the end, where and to whom is God sending you? But it starts right here with us. It starts right here with each of us. Recognizing as we come to this table This is a table that Christ sets and invites each of us to come to. This is a table of God's mercy and of His compassion, of His forgiveness, of His grace. And we are reminded in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin to God, He is just and faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants us to be a holy people that we would send His holy message into the world. And Christ invites us to come to encounter Him with all of our heart and receive all that He has for us today, each of us. Whatever we need in whatever way we need to do business with God, today's the day to get right and to go 
and do the right thing that God has called each of us to do. On the night in which Christ was betrayed, he gathered his disciples and he, he took a common element bread. Of course, you remember, he said, I'm the bread of life, don't you? Don't you remember that? And he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Whenever you eat this, eat this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant which is poured out in my blood. Whenever you drink this, drink this in remembrance of me. So that whenever we eat the bread and we drink from the cup, we declare Christ's death until He comes again. And I'm here to tell you, He is coming again. He's coming again. As you're ready this morning, this table is open for all who are followers of Christ. Come and receive what Christ has for you in this place this morning. Let us come together as a congregation and receive what Christ has for us. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and then afterwards, just come as you're ready. Hold on to the cup, and we'll take that together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy. Your love is from everlasting to everlasting, and that you demonstrate your love to us in this, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, Lord, forgive us when we look at others and, and question whether or not they're worthy to receive the very thing that you extended to us. And, Father, as we come to your table, we'll, would you speak into each of our hearts and lives? Would you invite us to do whatever business that you'd like us to do today? That we might be right with you and right with one another and right as a congregation so we might be right on target, right on the mark with the ministry that you've called us to. Father, thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Come as you're ready.